Welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast, where being negative can be a good thing, and being positive can turn the world against you. Welcome back. I am your HIV positive host, Miss Jennifer Lee Bond, and this is episode 70. We're getting there, getting close to 100. I once heard on a podcast, um, I think it was... Oh, Ethan and Ela, H3H3. Um, they said, until you've done 100 episodes of a podcast, you really don't know what you're doing. So apparently, this is all still garbage, and I'm learning. So 30 more, and I will have it. <laughs> I promise I'll be putting out quality content in 30 more podcasts. But until then, it's just going to be crap. So Merry Christmas to everybody out there in podcast listening land. Um, it is Christmas Day right now, and the fam bam left about two hours ago. So I have some free time and thought, why not? Let's record a podcast. I have been um, down and out. Um, I have been sick with the flu. Um, It happened about two days before work ended, which was now we're looking at about 10 days ago. Um, It was a Wednesday. And that is a story in itself. So I will start with that because um, it was one hell of a day. Um, I had been working at an elementary school um, in a special ed class, and it was a really hard class. It was uh, kinder first and second. I think there were 11 kids, but thankfully between the me and this other um, person who was kind of she wasn't the teacher, but literally she could have been. She was really good with the kids. She knew them really well. Um, there was probably eight kids the most, and we had two runners. One was a girl with Down syndrome, bless her heart, but she had the dark green crud coming from her nose, which is a very Down syndrome sim- symptom, not necessarily that she had a cold. I mean, I kind of feel like I got sick from her, but that's probably not the case because I was wiping her nose for two days straight before I got sick. But anyways, she's a runner. So she was um, taking off constantly. She thinks it's a game. And so like she will, if they don't have any fencing around, like she'll literally run in the street. Thankfully, most of the school is completely barricaded by fencing, but I was kind of in charge of keeping up with Lupita and um, she was giving me a run for my money. And I was already starting to feel run down. And when I was starting the day each day there at this elementary school, it was like 40 degrees outside. It was freaking cold. And I was bundled up and all of that, but I was still pretty chilly. It was like, God damn, it is cold. And we had several things that we had to do outside with the kids in the morning. Like there's playtime with them outside at the playground and the kids just don't feel it. I don't know, but we have to be outside there with them. And it's like, you know, 730 in the morning, it's fucking cold. So I don't know if that brought my immune a response down because I was kind of cold in the morning. Like, I'm not really sure why you don't get the cold, you don't get the flu or you don't get colds from cold weather, but the cold weather can make your body have to like basically work harder to stay warm, which can bring your immunity down. And in that way, you can probably bring in other bacteria and viruses that normally your body could possibly fend off, but because your body's trying to deal with like things like keeping warmer, that's one reason why you might get sick because it's cold, but it's not cold air that makes you sick. It's viruses and bacteria, right? That make you sick. Um, and I, I don't think people always understand that, but anyways, um, so yeah, I was busy chasing Lupita and then there was another boy who was, he was on the, um, autism spectrum, real smart kid, um, too smart for his own good, but, uh, really rough, like hard to deal with. I think he was in the first grade. I can't remember his name. It'll come to me. It was like Bentley. I think it was Bentley. 
something like that. Anyways, he, he would also take off and kind of just tell us off too. He didn't really give two shits. Um, he had a, he has a real hard home life and it, it showed in his, uh, the way that he acted around the adults and stuff. But anyways, they really needed me to cover. Apparently the teacher that I was covering for was leaving, like she wasn't coming back and they needed somebody just to cover through till the end of the week. Um, you know, because Christmas break was coming up. And I said, you know what, I'll do it. Like they're in a pinch. Is it my ideal situation? No, I don't really want to chase after like little kids on freezing cold mornings and really trying to keep Lupita busy while this other teacher aid person is trying to deal with the other part of the class and get them through some lessons. Um, I'm supposed to like have Lupita do some things that are like more educative, you know, not just her running around in the classroom. And she wasn't having any of it. She just, she doesn't really know why she's even there, right? And I'm supposed to like teach her stuff. But I mean, she did know her colors and she knew um, different objects that I'd point out. But for the most part, she just wanted to play. So um, I thought I could get through this. It's fine. It's not really what I want to be doing right before Christmas break. I'd rather have like an easier subclass, like something with I don't know, teenagers at a high school where they're just busy doing not really anything because it's the week before Christmas and I would just be able to sit there on my phone. Um, but I said yes. So because they were in a, you know, pinch and they had asked me and um, I like when I'm needed. And so, yeah, I kind of like to help out when I can in situations like that. So I go there Monday, I go there Tuesday, I go there Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning. I'm just not, I woke up with a sore throat, wasn't feeling great. And, um, we go and do the pickup uh, in the morning where the bus drops off the kids and there's like a line of kids and then we have to walk them to the cafeteria. They grab their breakfast and then they eat outside. This is all, it's like literally 39, 40 degrees. It's freezing. Um, so we're walking and I'm chasing Lupita with the runny, really dark green snot all over her face. And I'm trying to, you know, bring her, I'm like holding her underneath her armpits, kind of dragging her along. Like this is tiring, you know, first thing in the morning. We get back to the classroom and um, there's a woman there who's older than me by a little bit. I'd say maybe late 50s, um, thin woman, um, and she was dressed real nice in like a camel colored long, uh, like East Coast looking pea coat with black pants and black boots and she had black curly hair. I would venture to say that she was either Jewish or Italian, very East Coast. And um, she was helping us. And I didn't think twice about it because I don't always know who the school is calling to help with the special ed um, kids. They have a, a company called SELPA that we work with. It's special ed some learning program association. I don't know. It stands for something like that. But anyways, they will send people you know, that to help out. So I thought, okay, I guess she came from there, but she looks so familiar. And you know that feeling when you don't know if you know somebody and it was a good thing between the two of you or it was a bad thing, but you just know there was something strong between you and this person and you can't recall what it was, but there's something, but you're not placing them because when you talked to them last, it wasn't at that school. So I'm not putting it together. So, <coughs> sorry that's still the flu in my throat. So, um, she's in the classroom with the other teacher. I'm off to the side with Lupita inside the classroom, just trying to keep her busy. And this, 
younger girl who's probably like 24 who is literally teaching the class. So sweet. Like the, she knows all these kids, but she's con considered, <laughs> did I just messed up there? She is considered uh, quote unquote, like the aide, but um, she basically is teaching the class. So she um, is off to the side with the other kids and this other woman is helping her. So we were about to go out to recess and this girl, woman, girl, I keep saying girl, but um, she's 24 years old. She she had said earlier there was a discussion something about her her having cancer when she was young in elementary school that she had gone through chemo she had a brain tumor and then class started so we didn't really get the full story and I wanted to like go back and like have her tell me more about her story because I was like wow like you're one of those kids like you literally missed probably several years of school because you were really sick with cancer what was that like what was that like for your family my god can they believe you're here now and everything's okay and how did all that go so i wanted to hear more of her her story so she's telling me this and the woman walks in and i said can you believe that um i can't remember her name i want to say it was mariana I think it was. I said, can you believe that she had cancer when she was in elementary school? And like, she's, she was, oh yeah, I was there. I heard the conversation earlier. I said, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden it clicks. And I remember how I know this woman. And I said, I know how I, I know where I remember you from. And she goes, uh-huh. And I said, you were the special ed teacher for summer school at Aptos High like a few years ago, and I was covering for you. That's right. You had a brother who was really sick. You were going to fly to the East Coast and see him before he passed. I said, oh my God, I just remembered. And she goes, yeah, that's right. It was really hard. And since then, she goes, I've had like five people in my family that are very close to me die since then. And she says it to me in a way that I feel like she's yelling at me. And I'm like, I said, oh, wow, I'm, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, yeah, it was been a very hard, very hard time. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, okay, I'm really sorry you went through that. So then she starts walking by me and she's shaking her finger at me. And she goes, and you know what? I remember you too. I know all about you. I remember you. So yeah, when I got that job and I needed help with a substitute teacher and I'm sitting there thinking, what is she, where is she going with this? What the fuck is she? Sounds really pissed. She says, you tried to take my job from me. And I said, what? And she goes, oh yeah, don't even. I, you tried to take my job from me. I was going through a really hard time. You were incessant. She goes, you kept sending me so many messages to ask if I was coming back from the East Coast. And I didn't need to be dealing with this because I was going through so much with my family. And I said, look, you have the wrong person. I don't even know what you're talking about. I said, I said, I would not operate like that. That is not, I don't do stuff like that. I don't care. So I, I'm trying to recall what she is like getting at. So what had happened was is she had, um, signed up as a special ed teacher for summer school, which I have done also. It's a temporary thing. It's like for four weeks. And, um, and she ended up having this family emergency. And so I came in and spent like three hours or four hours with her on a weekend before she left for the East Coast. And I was going to cover her class for like three or four days um, while she was gone. 
and um, I was considered a substitute for a summer school class. That's what I was, and that's all I wanted. I didn't want to be like the regular teacher because I didn't want to have more responsibility. But I was, you know, fine with just doing the substitute thing um, for for summer school and special ed. So during that time. Uh, we weren't really sure what her plan was, if she was coming back or not. And I was getting along great with the staff and they liked me and they didn't like her. They thought that she was just over the top with her instructions and what she thought should be happening for a special ed class for summer school, which should not be that incredibly structured because it's supposed to be fun. And she had things really structured and it was just over the top. And I remember the staff that I was working with were just like, oh my God, I hope you can stay. Like, I just remember that. So I do recall sending her an email, maybe two, I really don't remember, but just asking her kind of like what her plan was and if she needed me to cover any more that I could. That is for sure how I would have worded it. She took it the other way. And I do kind of remember her coming back at me in those emails saying, you know, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm going through so much right now and I really don't need to be dealing with this right now. Like, I remember feeling like she's like, wow, like she's throwing a lot back at me. And I was just asking, you know, what the deal was, if she maybe thought she'd be staying on the East Coast longer, like maybe I could cover the class for it. That was it. Didn't matter. There were other classes that I could cover for summer school that weren't hers, but this one was working out. And so I thought, I'm just asking. So anyways, she has apparently never forgotten about the email exchange. And she went off on me in this classroom as we're starting to walk out. I literally had to put my hand up and say, you need to stop. Like, this is crazy. I said, I don't know. And at that time, because I was so bombarded with her, like kind of like blowing my hair back with her telling me that I was this horrific bitch that I, and the other poor, this poor other 24 year old is like, uh, uh, like, like scattered, like she's not wanting to interrupt and she's having to go out like right between us to go outside to where the kids were. And she's like, um, trying to just like act like none of this is happening, but it so was, and it was so like crazy. And so I just kept, I said, this is too much. Like, this is too much. You need to stop. I said, I would not have like operated like that. I don't know. It must be somebody else. She's, oh no, it was you. It was you. I remember. And you wouldn't stop. You were just insistent on finding out if you could get my job, her job, as if it's like, it's not a permanent job. It was a freaking four week job. So anyways, um, I, I just, she kept, she kept saying stuff to me as she was walking away towards the playground. And I tell this 24 year old and you know, the teacher's aid lady. And I said, look, I grabbed my purse. I said, I cannot stay here. I said, that was too much. I said, I'm, I don't know if I'm coming back, but I'm going to go talk to the principal. I said, I'm like, I'm not going to work with her. Like that was just really crazy. So I go to the office, I find the principal who's a woman and I sit down and I said, I need to tell you, I was just verbally assaulted by that woman that's covering in our classroom. And she said, well, wait, what's going on? And I, so I briefly tell her what happened, what had happened. And she said, what is her name? And I said, I don't even know. And she said, okay, I'm going to make a phone call. So the principal goes out of the classroom, calls Selpa. She doesn't even know. She was, I didn't even order her or whatever. She was, I didn't ask for her to be there. I didn't even know she was in your classroom. So she was, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you walk out with me. And I'm going to tell her that you are here as the teacher, as a substitute today, and that she can now go because you are here. And I'm thinking, okay, so I have to see her again. 
So here, I, and I kind of felt like they should have just given the job to her and paid me for the day because of what I went through. So I go, okay, fine. So I'm thinking, I mean, it's one of those like out of body experiences at this point. It's such a fucking giant shit show that it doesn't even matter anymore. Like, I don't care. I'm walking out with the principal. This lady's obviously in the wrong. She's not being professional at all. And so I'm just going to go back out and, and, you know, and by the way, I'm coming down with the flu this whole time and not knowing it. But anyways, so I walk back with the principal and I'm just like, I can't believe I have to walk back this pack, walk by this woman with the principal. So I get to the classroom and for, I can't believe this. We are alone in the classroom at this moment. And she sees the principal. She's already been spoken to by the principal. She's going to get her purse and she turns around and she's like, pointing at me and yelling she says and you know what you know what I said oh I said you are crazy I said you need to stop and she's I don't even remember what she said but she started to say something else to me about how awful I was I said you know what they didn't want you to come back they liked me and they wanted you to stay in New York or whatever they wanted me to take the job and she goes there you go there you go I told you you knew the whole time and I was like oh my god I said okay whatever I said bye bye bye-bye. So I got real bitchy as she walked out of the classroom. I have never in my 13 years at PVUSD ever had an experience like this. It was unreal. So she went out with her purse and she talked to the principal like two classrooms down while we're outside with the kids. Um, and I see her with her hands, you know, very, you know, talking uh, very, uh, dramatically with the, with the principal. And I'm just wondering what's being said. I have no clue. But anyways, <laughs> that was that, that was, um, very, uh, it was crazy. I mean, I thought of actually reporting her, but I ended up with the flu. Um, and I just didn't have the energy, but I really was like, the whole thing was so just over the top. I can't, I still I'm blown away that this lady treated me like that and was holding a grudge from literally three years ago. I mean, it's crazy. Um, so that happened. And then so I went to my second job. And I was feeling shitty by the time I got to this job. Um, I was just starting to ache all over. I was feeling super run down. I had a sore throat. Um, this was my after school job. And about two hours into this job, when we were at recess, I laid on, and it's cold out. It was a cold day. I laid on our picnic table, their metal picnic tables, you know, outside while the kids were at recess. I laid down. I like literally laid, my body hurt so bad that I laid in my like black nice boots and I had tight, you know, pants on and I had my nice winter coat and a scarf, like I was dressed in nice winter clothes. I'm Miss Vaughn was laying on the picnic table, like on my side, so I could still watch the kids. And but I couldn't sit up anymore. Like I was, I was so like uncomfortable. My body hurts so bad. So I got <laughs> into the classroom, and we are super short staffed. I'm now having to take on one of the classrooms. So I've got second and third graders, which is not the norm. I'm normally like the acting supervisor when my other supervisor can't be there. So I'm usually in the main, in the office, like I'm more like the after school principal, but because we were short staffed, I was actually taking over a class as kind of like an after school teacher. And all I could manage to do for them was put on a movie and, um, I was sitting in the chair, leaning back, trying to get comfortable. And at this point, I'm now feeling 
um, I'm getting the cold sweats, I guess. I definitely felt like I had a fever, like something was that was feeling off, but then my back felt cold or something or the chills. I had chills and I called my boss, um, who was at her other site and I didn't know whether she could come and cover for me. It was like four o'clock and we are done at six. And I was in such a desperate mode at that point because I had been getting sick since seven o'clock that, that morning and now it's four o'clock and I haven't stopped all day. And once she picked up, I started crying. I was in the classroom with the kids and I said, hi Bridget, this is Jennifer. I said, I am so sick. I said, are you able to come? to landmark so I can go home. I said, I'm so sorry. I mean, this is literally how I sound. I said, I'm, cause I would never, ever, ever leave my job. I like, I love my jobs. I'm so like grateful for work. And I always want to try to like get through it and be the help that I know that they need. Cause there always is a major need in the school district. So I, I fall apart because I just realize I can't make it two more hours. I just can't. So she came, she says, I will be there in 10 minutes. And I go into the office, the kids are going out to recess again. And I stand in front of the thing that does the temperature because of COVID. And it says, your temperature is too high. And I'm like, I knew it. So I go home, I have 101.1 temperature, I get like peel my clothes off and get in the bath. And you know, that's almost an uh, an automatic relief is the hot water when your body aches all over. It really is amazing what a hot bath can do almost instantly when you've been cold in your clothes all day, when you've got this flu starting. So anyways, I, I went through the, um, all of the motions for, I'd say the first three days were really, really bad. It felt like COVID again. Honestly, I've mentioned it in my, um, Instagram stories. It felt like having AIDS. It really does. Like, um, having AIDS felt like having a really bad flu or having COVID. It really did. It's all similar symptoms. You know, your body aches, um, fevers and chills and, um, all of that. And you just don't feel like eating. You just feel like shit. Basically your body just hurts, you know? So it's the same response as you would have if, you know, cause HIV is a virus. The flu is a virus basically. So it's the same, your body's responding the same way. So it does, it feels just like that. And, um, I said, I felt like I have goddamn AIDS again, you know? And it's funny because I never, I always say I never get sick and truly don't. Um, for the most part, since I've had AIDS, the only two times I've been sick are COVID in May, this last May, and then this flu six months later. And I really do feel like the flu happened to me because of all the mask wearing. I feel like it affected my immune system. Uh, my CD4 count is always kind of around the same thing, but I do feel like our immune response to things is not as good right now because of all the mask wearing that we did. Um, and I didn't get my flu shot this year. I always normally do. So it could be that also. I don't know for sure, but um, I probably will get my flu shot next year because I don't want to go through this shit again. It really does mess up life for you for a good couple weeks. Um, so yeah, I, it turned into, oh my God, I had by the way, I had influenza A. I did test positive for it. I had one night where the swallow, I couldn't swallow unless I actually swallowed some water. I couldn't, my, I couldn't swallow saliva. It felt like razor blades in my throat. And then, so I thought I had strep too. I was like, maybe it's strep. Um, so I went to a doctor's on duty, which was, that whole thing was crazy because I had symptoms for basically COVID. They made me do the curbside, um, you know, 
assistants or whatever. So they came out to see me, but it took them 45 minutes to come out to me. So by the time they came out to me, I had left my key turned so that my car seat would be warm because I have seat heated seats. Um, the second time they came out to like, I don't know, swab me, I couldn't get my window to roll down. My battery died. It was cold. Again, a very cold California morning. I'm in my car, very sick with the flu, trying to stay warm. And I had my car key turned, you know, I had the ignition turned just enough so that the seat could stay warm. Apparently, seat heaters drain the battery. Like if you don't have the ignition on and you just have the seat heater on, you will drain your battery within like an hour. And I did. And it was a new, not a new battery, but it was not that old. So anyways, I had to have AAA come out and start my car again. And um, really not what I really wanted to have going on when I just got a positive for influenza A and felt like shit and wanted to go to Target to go get the Tamiflu that they prescribed for me. So yeah, I did Tamiflu for um, five days and um, I'm still, like tomorrow is almost two weeks, I'm still coughing, not so bad at all today, but um, not still not feeling like... Um, like, I don't really have an appetite. Nothing sounds good at all. Like, I just started drinking coffee again yesterday, and I always drink coffee every morning. So for me not to drink coffee, I that means, like, I'm still not feeling great because coffee never sounds good when I'm sick. sick. Um, and that's also why I didn't record a podcast, just because I was, you know, sick, and I just didn't feel like, um, well, I couldn't really talk that well. It just didn't sound good. <coughs> so, um, yeah, and this cough, unfortunately... Um, and my runny nose made its way into my, a little meetup that I had with a situationship that I have. And that was so embarrassing. I'm like, I thought I got all my coughs out before I saw him. And then I, <clears throat> I coughed like several times during our, uh, activities. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I like, I thought I was okay. And I go, I swear, I promise I'm not contagious. And then I was kissing him and like, I was like kind of over him and I, my nose was, I could feel my nose about to drip right onto his like lip. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so, I'm still freaking sick. Like what a freaking hot mess I was, um, the other day. Yeah. And yes, this person knows I have HIV and now he does not care. Um, so, cause there's no reason to, and it's doesn't even come up. It's again, I always feel like I think he forgot for some reason, but I know he didn't, but it's not an issue. He doesn't ever ask me about it. He's not, he's not worried, but so that is nice. Um, okay. Let me do an update on the firefighter. That was the last podcast I had. Um, I never heard from him again. I do not care anymore. Um, it could have been many factors besides my HIV status. It could have just been that he d didn't like the fact that I was, um, you know, somebody who talks about HIV on the internet. Um, it could be that he had seen my story where I said, I have a date tonight with a fireman, fireman and I'm not going to tell him that I have HIV because it's none of his business. Um, I still am like sketched out about that one account that was following me that had the fire engine in the profile that said Sean Adams, but it's not him because that person was poking around on my stories mm, for a week after that and then never does anymore. So I think that that person is definitely somehow um, friends with him or something. There is some relation for sure, but whatever. I'm not into his big giant handlebar mustache anyways, um, but you know, fuck him, whatever. There's so many other fish in the sea. I really don't care. I just, it just felt bad that he, uh, 
decided against me when it really the only thing keeping us from seeing each other was the fact that he couldn't understand that I can't transmit HIV. I mean, if that's what it was, then, you know, too bad on him. And yeah, again, I just, I'm, it's not worth my time anyways. So, okay. Um, I did have, um, a date. <laughs> I had a real date with somebody my age. Um, the fireman was 32. So I had a real date with somebody who was 51. I had in my Tinder that I was 48, but I am actually 52. So I was a little bit older than this guy. So, um, he says in his profile that he's five, nine. Um, I have definitely gone out with guys that are shorter than me and it's not that big of a deal, but I don't know why. Of course I envisioned something really different than the person that I saw, but okay. So here it is. We, we meet and I don't know what I was thinking, but it is cold out. It's winter time. And I do wear boots a lot when it's uh, winter. And I have these, um, black boots that zip up and they go like just underneath my knee. They have like probably a two inch thickness to them. They're kind of almost like motorcycle boots. And I don't know what I was thinking, because obviously those are going to make me taller, but I figured we'd be sitting down. So, but I felt when I said hello to him outside, I was like, oh my God, like I felt way taller. So we go in, we sit at the bar, um, we get a drink and we're talking and, um, basically I will just keep this short and sweet because there isn't a whole lot to say other than, um, we talked for three hours and in that time, the only question he asked me was, do you have a mountain bike? That was the only question he asked me. Everything else I either offered, um, to tell him because I didn't want there to be a lull in the conversation or I asked him questions and so that he would talk and he would, he would talk, but he never asked me anything except, do you have a mountain bike? I swear to God, guys are so lame when it comes to dating and I, it's exhausting. Like three hours of like every time there started to be a lull and I'd like take a sip of my beer or whatever or whatever drink I had, I'd be thinking of what's the next thing I can ask him. And, you know, I was trying to make it light and fun and it didn't really even dawn on me till it was all over that I had really honestly done all of the framework of this date, like as far as talking. And it's like, if you're not into me, why are we sitting here for three fucking hours? And I'm looking at him, you know, he was, I don't know that he was even my type. He was kind of smallish, even though he was five, nine, he was also like a small, he was fit. Like he had nice muscles, but the, everything about him felt smaller to me. And everything about me feels big. And I feel like even though I know I'm not a big person, like I know I'm I'm thin, I still feel like I'm, I don't know, I just feel like a monster next to him in a way. You know, I just felt like a big girl. And um, I couldn't envision me with him. But there's always that little part of you that's like, well, if he is interested in me physically, I could maybe, you know, I could change my mind about this because he's like, you know, he's got a good job. He's a single dad. He's my age. Oh, I did tell him my real age. So, um, I did tell him that, but you know, I, I just wonder if, um, you know, I, I do try to think about how I could make myself like this situation if he, you know, likes me. And I remember I had asked him how his dates have gone with Tinder. And he said, 
uh, oh, okay. Oh, by the way, he had been married for 25 years to his college sweetheart. They had two kids, you know, around my kid's age. He had a boy and a girl. Um, and they were just no longer, you know, it just wasn't working out, whatever. And I think they had lived in, they had lived on the, in the Midwest somewhere. I can't remember what state it was. It was, but, um, but he's lived out in California for a while. Anyways, they, um, yeah, he's new to dating for sure. Like he's, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if he hadn't slept with another woman yet. Like, he's probably only been with the ex-wife. I don't know. I just don't think he's probably dated anybody since. He said, you know, dates on Tinder have been... He goes, his... What did he say to me? He said, you kind of just know when it's not going to work out. And then you just kind of like, mm, you know, you just kind of take off and leave or whatever at the end. And, um, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, of course, that's not going to be me. Because I'm not that girl that it's not going to work out with. I'm you know, I'm a solid, like good date here, you know, you're going to like me. And so we, and I had mentioned a couple times cause they were starting to put the bar stools up on tables around us, but there was still one couple eating dinner. It was at a, um, it was at a pub, like an Irish pub restaurant. And, um, by the way, he showed up in flip-flops. Like, I should have shown up in flip-flops. That's so much more who I am. And I kind of made a comment about that. Like, oh, you're so... Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but I said something like, oh, you're so, like, um, casual. Like, flip-flops, damn. Like, And in my mind, I was thinking, I wish I had done that because then I would have been shorter. But it was a night date, and I it's cold out, and I felt like, you know, dress shoes would be more appropriate, but whatever. So maybe I said a bunch of stuff that he didn't like, but anyways, I had mentioned a couple times that it looked like they were trying to close up. And by the way, the bartenders, obviously there was a couple of them. They, there wasn't many people in there at all. It was basically just us at the bar and very obvious we were on a first date. And so they overheard different parts of our conversation and would chime in at times, which was just weird, but whatever. <coughs> and so, um, I had kind of hinted like maybe, I don't know if we should go because like, it looks like they're trying to like get out of here. I didn't want to hold up anybody at their job if they're trying to go home. But there was that one couple still sitting there eating. And he said, no, no, like, cause they're eating or whatever. And so I thought, okay, maybe that means like he wants to hang out with me more. And he did buy a basket of fries. So we did have a basket of fries and he got two beers. Um, so I did not offer to pay because he asked me out. So I did not offer to pay. I'm not going to. Um, anyway, so I don't know if that bothered him. Who knows? So we finally decide to leave. This is three hours of talking. This is exhausting. This is like a job interview. So we get outside and he goes, oh, I said, that's my car right there. And he goes, oh, okay. Because he hadn't seen originally where my car was. And he was, he was parked way past my car. I... I said, yeah, this is my car right here or whatever. And so as I like kind of make like a motion to go towards my door, he keeps walking away. And I said, oh, well, give me a hug, you know, goodbye. And he goes, oh, okay. Okay. So <laughs> he comes over and gives me a hug. He hugs me so hard that it took the air out of me. And I was like, oh, Jesus. I said, oh, wow. What a hug, you know? And I, I didn't know what to make of that. So I get in my car and I'm like, okay, well, bye. And I drive home and I don't know what to think of it. But I'm very well aware at this point that I had done all of the um, 
like, I had kept this conversation going the whole freaking time, even though he was able to carry on a conversation and tell me about himself. I was the one, I was the interviewer for sure. And I'm very like, I'm like, it's all hitting me after going, God damn, like I fucking did all the talking, like as far as like getting like the conversation going and keeping a subject going and all of that. And so I didn't feel like saying anything to him after like, thanks for the date or whatever. I did say to him, well, that was nice. Thanks. You know, or like as we, as we completely parted and he kind of was like, oh yeah, yeah, whatever. Anyways, long story short, um, I guess I, I was going to make that a short one, but I didn't. Um, we, uh, never said a word to each other after that. Nothing, nothing. We ghosted each other. And I thought, well, you know what? <laughs> Fuck you. You know that I don't know what it was about me, but it, like he didn't know about my HIV status. He didn't know about it at all. So this was purely based on physical looks or personality, one or the other. I don't know. Or I have too many red flags. I mentioned something about my ex-husband being at my house with my son, possibly, that I thought he might be coming over at some point tonight. So who knows really what um, my red flags were for him, but apparently there were um, enough for him to never say another word to me. Nothing. And I kept waiting for him to unmatch me on Tinder. In fact, I um, both the fireman and this other guy, both, both of them, had not unmatched me on Tinder. And I kept waiting and waiting, waiting for them to pull the rug out from under me. And they never did. And I asked people on Instagram in my private story if that's something men do. And or women even. And um, it was really 50-50 down the middle. Some felt like there's no point in being matched with somebody when you know there's no connection. Some don't unmatch ever. They just don't see the point in doing that. It feels mean or they just don't like pay any attention to it. They just was like, whatever. Um, so after like, I think a week, I unmatched both of them and it felt good. So <laughs> anyways, they're gone. Um, and it really makes me not want to go on these first freaking dates. I hate first dates. They are truly blind dates. They, there's no two ways about it. They're blind dates. You know, you don't know these people until you see them in person and hear their voice and watch their mannerisms and hear what they have to say. Because before that, they're just pictures and it's, you can't, everybody's different than their picture for sure. As much as you want to imagine that they're going to look like this person, they never do. They never do. They always usually look a little different than what you're imagining. So anyways, um, yeah, I was just like, yeah, it was just meh, more of the, um, just why I can't stand online dating, but I decided to join Bumble and I paid 50 bucks for this month. It was sort of a Christmas present to myself. And what it did is it gave me, um, like basically on Tinder, I don't pay. And so I only know who likes me if we both match, but on Bumble, it says like, it's telling me everybody who likes me. And it tells me like the locals who like me and anybody else. And right now I have over a thousand like likes. It's crazy. Like there's um, uh -huh, over, well, I've gone through the locals, but there's like over 150, but at times there's been 300 locals that like me. And, um, let me see what does it say right now. Uh, and I won't do Bumble again. I just, I have yet. I mean, I've talked to people, but, um, I can't get it. To, oh yeah. So nearby says, oh, in all, I have 900 people that like me, 150 new nearby. There are a hundred and I mean, I'm going with like down to the age 25, which is just, it's too young. It's too young up to 52. 
I really like the 30 year early 30s. That's my favorite age group just because they're not married, never have been married, they don't have kids. They're just still having a good time. They might not ever want to get married. 40-year-olds usually are bitter. They are divorced usually. They might have a young kid. I don't want to deal with any of that shit. And then the guys my age are just they're just not it. I don't know. It's they're losing their hair. They're not in good shape. They're bitter about women. They're always divorced. Things haven't worked out many, many, many times um, with women. And it's just like, I just don't want to deal with it. So yeah, the early thirties is where it's at for me. I just, this is just a great age and you know, it's, they're typically not going to be boyfriends. They're just going to be situationships. You know, they're just going to be for fun and it's what works best with my life at the moment. So yeah, I have, um, one of those and sort of there's one that was definitely throughout from like May till October and I haven't seen him in a couple months but I probably will see him soon and um yeah so there's a couple of them um okay what else can I talk about here um uh, there was I have a few um Netflix recommendations that I wanted to give um (laughs) so one of them is Volcano this one um was Oh my gosh, this really haunted me. This story. It was about um, an island um, near New Zealand, and it's it was a part of a tour that people could take either from New Zealand or they could take it from a cruise ship. And it was a active island called White Island. There's a volcano that that's on it. It is active at times, and people would go onto this island and do a walking tour. And they did not tell the tourists about the dangers involved and that, you know, what could possibly happen on this island. Well, the fucking volcano erupts. And what ensues after is so much craziness and just unreal events. You think you're safe because you've come from a cruise ship. So you're thinking, yes, this has all been looked over by the cruise company and they, you know, they wouldn't put us in danger and whatever. Oh no. Oh no. These people were in incredible danger. And people, if you know the story, I mean, it's been in the news for the last three years. I think it happened in 2019. Many people perished. Like people died directly on the island and people died after from burns, not from lava, from steam. So the steam was going through their clothes and burning them. And to hear the survival stories and to hear about the people that helped the people that needed help was incredible. Like it, it was the government of New Zealand said that they could not help the last 12 survivors that were on the island because it was too dangerous for their military or whoever personnel to fly out there with the helicopters because there's still a possibility of another eruption. So they said, sorry, we're not helping. And it took a private helicopter company to go out there and risk their freaking lives to try to rescue the last 12 people that were stuck on the island, severely burned. And of those 12 two survived. And they don't talk about it on on this documentary. I did find it on a YouTube, um, um, 60 minutes, like, a maybe it was an Australian 60 minutes that several of them perished 
in the helicopter ride from the island back to New Zealand because it was like I think it's like a 45 minute trip on in the helicopter these helicopter pilots risked their lives I mean what heroes uh, unbelievable what these men um, put themselves through to try to save these people and to know that they only saved two of the 12 like I mean it, obviously it's a life even if it was only one but all of that effort and only two made it um, of those, but many other, par many other perished, many, many, many others, there we go, many others perished. Eight on the island didn't make it. There was a, um, there were tour guides, two of them did not make it. And these were men that did this all the time. They went out to this island all the time. They said in the 60 Minutes interview, not the one from Netflix, that that the way that they found those two tour guides with the first aid and stuff around them, they knew that they were trying to save people while they themselves were dying and they died on that island. And one of them, they did not find two. Well, there's two people that actually they could not find their bodies because once the government went back to find two of the ones that had perished directly on the island, their bodies had been washed away due to heavy rain. So they literally slid into the ocean and were never found. So one of the survivors is this man, young man. Um, I would, I think he was from Ireland and I don't want to give the story away. You just have to watch it. This boy is, this young man is exceptional, an exceptional survivor. He's one of those guys that you just... You, you just can't believe what he's been through and and you got to see his 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 whole story like they follow they he talked throughout the whole thing and um just to hear about his recovery and all of that I'm following him on Instagram and he wasn't easy to find the day that I found him the documentary had already been out for like a week and he had about 2700 followers the next day he had about 3000 and I was like that's it like why aren't people following this guy like this he has an incredible story and I really want to see him in fact he posted a picture today on Christmas with um it looks like friends and I liked it and it was kind of neat to think wow, like I'm, I'm watching his life now. And it's kind of neat because I, I'm aware of a very traumatic event that he witnessed that he shared with the world. And he's, you know, it's, it's amazing to see him in real time. So, um, that's one I really highly recommend volcano. Um, and then aftershock was really good too. This is about people who survived the, um, the massive earthquake in, Oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. It's where they climb up uh, in Tibet. It is, oh my God, Mount. I've got to look it up. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. What the heck? Aftershock. It's a three series documentary. I'm going to feel so stupid when I, um, okay, I've got to look up Aftershock Netflix when I, when I, uh, cause it's, it's the, it's the mountain. Everybody wants to climb. Oh, Everest. There it is. Everest. Okay. So it's the, in Nepal, not Tibet, not Tibet, um, Nepal. So the 2015 Nepal earthquake, which was devastating. Um, um, I think, let's see how many people died, how many died and not, not just people trying to climb Everest died, obviously. Okay. Nearly 9,000 people died 
in that earthquake due to like what happened in Nepal, like the city and this, how buildings collapsed. So many people were lost in all of that rubble, but there were people that were trying to climb Mount Everest, you know, which is, I don't know, they show maps of like how far it is from like the main city to like Mount Everest. And I really don't know how far it is. It was kind of like drawings. It was sort of hard to tell, but it was, it looks like they're, I don't know, uh, 50 miles apart, maybe? I'm not totally sure. But anyways, um, it was an interesting story by pe people that were like, um, what had happened up on Mount Everest when this earthquake happened? And one of the men who were up on the mountain trying to climb Everest for the first time ever shared that he was HIV positive and he was speaking in another language. They had to put the subtitles and he was a really fit dude. And it was kind of interesting to hear him talk about his story and why how he was treated as an injured person. He had told the medical staff that he had HIV up on the mountain when he was brought into the tents and everything. And they put, um, they put a bandage around him, his head and he said, and they wrote on an HIV positive. And he goes, here I am. It made me feel bad. He goes, I want to show my people like I am strong. I am still a strong person. Like I live, you know, a very healthy life now. He goes, he was an ex um, drug addict and that's how he got HIV. And anyways, and it was interesting to hear his story and how he was treated. Um, it was one of the like um, side stories that they focused on in this documentary. And I w didn't know that until I watched it. I was like, whoa, like there's a dude on here talking about having HIV. So I included that on my um, Instagram story and I shared a bunch of it on there because I thought it was just kind of cool that he was... Um, one of the storylines that they decided to focus on. What I didn't think was kind of cool is that they took him off that, um, once they were able to get help via helicopters because he had HIV and he was kind of glad about this too. He was one of the first rescued because they wanted to get him out of there. Um, and he said he was rescued before many of the other more badly injured people, which I thought was kind of bullshit. Like he, okay, he was injured, but really like that, it's kind of sad. Maybe some people died because he got rescued first just because he had HIV and they wanted to get him away from, like, they didn't obviously clearly understand that he was of zero, he's zero threat to anybody, but like him, he was kind of all happy about it that he got rescued first. But I just, I don't know. I didn't like, I didn't like that and how it comes across because he, he didn't need to be rescued first. You know what I mean? Okay. So that sort of bothered me a little bit. Um, okay. The last recommendation I have is called, I just killed my dad. The, these are all on Netflix. This, um, I had started watching over a month ago, I think. And then I just sort of didn't get into it for whatever reason, but I decided to watch it. It's a three episode series of this young man, Anthony Temple, I think Tomblay. I can't remember. It's something it's French. Anyways, Yes, he he kills his dad. He shoots his dad. It's um and this is in the very beginning of the um the documentary, but it goes into his life and what you don't know is that Anthony was a missing child. Like he was literally kidnapped by his dad and that's a that's kind of a big part of it, but I I found the whole thing fascinating um cuz you really do because he lived in a really nice house, really nice neighborhood. He looked like the kid, the spoiled kid who had it all. Like, why did you kill your dad? Just because your dad was like yelling at you and you got in a fight, like not a good reason to kill your dad, dude. And, um, he's not coming across well in his, um, in his, uh, police, uh, interrogation 
time when they first took him in, you know, they basically arrested him. Um, and he's not, he's not coming off well because he's not showing any emotion. And so they're really like thinking this kid is like, he's a psychopath. Like that's how they basically thought he was. But as you get it more into it and really understand his background, um, boy, was that a moving, moving story. And um, I'm following him as well. Again, another, I don't know if people just don't take the time to find these people on Instagram, but um, <coughs> Anthony had under a thousand followers when I followed him. And I felt a little weird following him because he doesn't have many followers and he doesn't even have really any posts. But I felt compelled to follow him because I really do want to see what he does with his life and what happens with him. So, um, yeah. And I wrote uh, under his attorney, he had posted some, um, some stuff about Anthony and I wrote something under that post and thanked his attorney for being the positive role model, male role model that Anthony never had and a, a safe role model for Anthony because it was really moving to see how his, how his attorney had come through for him. And, um, and he liked my comment within like an hour and it was really, woo, it's just so weird to feel so moved by a documentary and then to find these people on the internet, write to them directly. And they, you know, they read your comment. It's like, whoa, like the internet's a trip. Like it is a trip. So, okay, let's see what else. I don't even know how long I've been talking for. Okay. I have a couple more things I wanted to talk about. Um, let's see. Oh my God. My poor daughter for Christmas, she had a wish list on Amazon and I went into her wish list. And one of the things that she'd asked for was this sailor moon. I don't even know. I think it's a cartoon character. It was like a makeup bag. So I click on it and go ahead and buy it. Well, what that did is it brought up all of these recommendations and I wasn't paying close attention. And I had my, I was doing this all through my phone. I end up ordering literally eight things of Sailor Moon stickers, bracelets, clips, like a water bottle, a blanket, all of the Sailor Moon stuff. And I'm wrapping it all thinking, what? Like, I didn't even know that she liked this stuff, but I know she likes anime and stuff. So I'm thinking, I guess she's really into Sailor Moon. I don't, whatever. So I'm wrapping all this stuff up. She opens this stuff today. She had not put any of it on her wish list, only the makeup bag. So <laughs> I felt so bad. Literally Ryan is like laughing, like mouth wide open, eyes bugging out, hand over her mouth going, oh, oh my oh God, you bought her how many Sailor Moon things, mom? So poor Joey, I just said, make a pile of everything you did not ask for. We end up adding it all up. It's about $110 worth of stuff. And Joey really wants an electric guitar. I don't know why, because I don't think it's going to be something she's going to be into. But anyways, long story short, we are returning all of the Sailor Moon stuff. And we put the money towards this electric guitar that she wants that came to $200. And she paid me for the rest of it. Um, so yeah, that was Christmas today. I feel so bad. I'm so sorry, Joey. Okay, another story. Um, this is a short one. My daughter, Ryan got her driver's permit. She is 19, but she waited to learn how to drive and stuff. So she got a driver's permit. I don't know when, a while ago. And I keep saying, you've got to get your driver's test done. You've got to do it. We've got a car waiting for her. I have a car waiting for her. I'm already paying insurance on this car that sits there on the street. And I want to get her in it because I'm tired of driving her to work and picking her up and her taking the bus at, you know, late hours. It's not safe. And 
I really want her to drive. So finally I'm like, okay, we're going to wait till Christmas break. And then you go and take your driving test. So we get to the DMV. It's Wednesday morning and I've already been off work for two days. But again, I had been, um, had I been sick during, yeah, I've been sick. I just haven't been feeling great. So we waited till Wednesday, whatever. So we get there. But again, I had said to her many days before this, weeks before this, let's do your driver's test. Like, let's do it. I have time this day, whatever. It never ended up happening. We get up to the window. She hands the lady her permit. We're here for the driving test. She looks at the permit. And I swear to God, she enjoyed this. The DMV lady. I, they just do. I don't know what it is. She looks up. She goes, so um, her permit expired yesterday. So she's going to need to retake the written test. And I'm like, are you serious? I was ready to scream. I'm like, oh my God, I'm mad at Ryan. I'm mad at all of it, right? So we leave. And I realized that the last time we had to get Ryan's permit for her to take the test, there were many requirements and I couldn't remember what they were, but they need all this documentation for her to take the test to get her permit. And part of the problem is the fact that I don't have her I don't have her birth certificate. I do not know what happened happened to Owen and Ryan's birth certificate. Something happened and it is gone. The, theirs are gone and I don't know why. I don't understand because I am so very careful about legal documents like this. I have um, a fire safe um, uh, safe, whatever, in my closet that <coughs> has all my documents in it. And for whatever reason, their two birth certificates are missing. And I don't know why. It might have been something to do with getting their... Um, passports when we went to Mexico in 2017. I don't know, but I thought when the girls moved that they might even show up then when they go through all their stuff, but they never did. So that, that is a problem because I don't, we have different last names. So I need to show proof of her residency and proof of my residency. So, and the other thing is, is that I don't have a printer and I refuse to spend $70 on ink for the printer. So I have to print things out at Staples. So I have to send myself an email of like my utility bill. And like, this is all a lot of work. And so we had what I thought was all the documentation. We get there Thursday morning with it and they say, no, this is not, you need this, that, and that I go, Oh my God, do you understand that she already had the, we've already gone through this. Like she had the permit and they, I have three people at this point talking to me at the window saying, ma'am, this is a government like document. We are not going to like be okay with you not giving us everything that we're asking for basically. And I'm like, I get all that, but I'm frustrated. I'm like, I can't even think straight. And I'm, and they finally, they say, if you can go to like her doctor's office and like an appointment that she has, I can do that. I can do that. So, and they said, or like her bank, I said, and it's all flooding back to me six months ago. That's what we did. We went to doctors on duty, got proof of an appointment that had her name and the address on it. And they stamped it same thing went to Wells Fargo got a something printed out with her name and address on it oh my god so we go back and i finally have all the documentation i mean i left there with them not really liking me but when i came back they were nice and i was nice and ryan passed her test so she passed her written test again um and now she's going to take her driving test on thursday so i'm crossing my fingers that that will all go well and she can start driving on her own and get herself to work and back and all that good stuff. Okay. I have a couple, two more things. Um, I had Vive, uh, it wasn't Vive directly. I think it's a company that works. Um, I don't even know how 
okay, it's not, okay, Viva is a pharmaceutical company, but they had a company re reach out to me. Um, I guess they're kind of the in-between person company that would find talent, I guess, or whatever, or an influencer. So Viva wants me to um, talk about their drug, Devato, which is the drug that I take through my Instagram and my TikTok. And we did a Zoom meeting. And I got to say, when they first reached out to me, I was really, I didn't know who any of them were, the people that were reaching out to me. And I kind of let it all go and said I wasn't that interested. And then somebody who had met me um, at one of the conferences years ago got wind that I had just kind of poo-pooed it and she was like oh no let me reach out to Jennifer so I knew her name and I'm like oh my god I am so sorry when she reached out to me then I realized who was trying to reach me and I then it was all making more sense and I was so embarrassed because I completely was like nah not interested so once I realized really who it was um, <laughs> then we made a plan to do a zoom meeting. So we did a zoom meeting during August with, um, the middleman company and then the Vive representatives and myself. And, um, they said that they would, you know, get back to me and let me know what the plan was. And so, I mean, here it is December and I never heard anything back. And I thought, even though they were really nice during the zoom meeting, I just assumed they had changed their mind. I'm like, it's probably cause I talk about, um, sorry if you heard that I was <laughs> pulling something off my face, um, tape. Um, so anyways, um, they, uh, I just assumed maybe they didn't like that. I talk about the risk of female to male transmission, which is like hardly anything. And I'm pretty open about it and I talk about the down low and what a danger that is to pretty much anybody who has sex with down low men, um, that they are a risk to gay men and to, their female partners, um, as far as spreading HIV. So I'm really vocal about that. And so I thought maybe they saw that and they just, and I kind of even talked to them about that during the zoom that I'm not, I'm real vocal about this stuff. I hope that's not a problem. And they were like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. They like didn't seem to care about anything that I talk about. So I was like, okay. But then I never heard from them and I thought, Oh, they did change their mind. And then lo and behold, I got a contract in December a few days ago. And, um, so yeah, they, um, sent me the contract. I read it over and, um, I've signed it and, um, I, it should be interesting. It's, I, I'm going to be in charge of the creative, like whatever I'm going to talk about and put out there will be my idea, but I have to have everything run through their, like, um, committee or whatever. I don't know. There's going to be somebody that's going to look over my stuff before it's actually put out. So it'll be like an Instagram story. It'll be an Instagram post and it'll be a TikTok post. And I'm basically paid hourly up to a certain amount. I will say like in general, if I build up all the hours that they've allowed, um, and part of this is called onboarding. It's when they're like, bringing me in and having, I guess there's like a two hour zoom meeting where they're going to explain more stuff to me. Um, it basically pays my rent for the month is what it comes down to. Um, and I think this is what a lot of influencers, um, do that. And this is how they make money is they do like, you know, advertising for different products and stuff like that. So it's basically advertising, um, for Devato and, um, and the weird part is again, is that it's going to like be reviewed before I actually like upload it or show it on my social media, which is a weird thing for me to have, um, like a critique or you might, you know, we need you to do this different or that different. Like usually when I do stuff on Instagram, it is on the spot. Like there's not a lot of thought put into it. 
Um, if I don't like it, I just redo it right then. And then I just, and you know, and then I put it up, you know, I just don't, I don't like have a storyboard or anything like that. I don't have like some big like thought process behind most of the TikToks I've done or anything on Instagram or whatever. I just, I just, you know, I fly by the seat of my pants as I think most, most people do, or we get ideas through, um, watching TikTok and then we're like, oh, I could do something with that, like that song or um, people are using like a general sound or something like that. And you're like, oh, I could somehow figure out a way to use that and make a statement about HIV in some way. And so um, that's typically how I work. And it will be very weird to have them because what do I do? Like if they don't like it, then I have to like go back and refilm it and filming like sometimes it all matters like what time of day it is because the sunlight's just perfect in my room or in my car or whatever. And it's like, I can't really go back and like edit that shot because it's going to be another day by the time they tell me if it's okay or not. I do not know how this is going to go down. I really don't. So I'm going to have to ask about all of that. And, um, of course I'm going to try to max out my hours so I can get paid for the full amount that they're offering. And, um, so, yeah, so wish me luck with that. I have, uh, three months from the time I signed the contract, which I just did this week until, um, I have to have these three things done. So I have three months to get it done. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, um, I will talk about the tape thing later. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to talk about it right now. I, I'm wearing, like, there's stuff for your face to actually pull your face back to like make it look a little less wrinkly. It's called face tape. They like literally sell it on Amazon. Um, and I've worn it sometimes and I just ripped it off. That's, I kind of forgot it was on my face. Anyway. Um, the last thing I wanted to say is that I was on Instagram a little while ago, um, this evening and I saw a post from the Instagram page called let's stop AIDS. And it says cdc.gov organization. It says that they are a nonprofit. They have like over 30,000 followers. I believe they have a blue check and they posted something about HIV, you know, like we're all in this together. One of those things. And I'm scrolling through the photos that they chose to use for this post. And of course it's two gay men, you know, caressing each other's faces about to kiss. That's the first picture. And then second one is, I believe a black woman and a black man. Um, you know, he's like hugging her from behind. Of course, everybody's fucking happy because everybody has HIV and it's great. And then the next one is a black woman and a white woman laying together, like on a bed, like holding hands, like they're in love or whatever. And that one pissed me off. I'm like, okay, what is this? Why are we trying to make it look like women are giving women HIV? Cause that is not happening at all and has never happened. So why are we portraying this? Because we want everyone to think that HIV is being spread by everybody and everybody should be careful, which is not the case. And statistically, they know this. They know exactly how it's spread and it's not being spread by women. So I was irritated when I saw that picture of the two women. And so I commented right away and I gave my two cents about like, you guys know this, you know, that women don't give women HIV. There's no cases of this. And like, why are you trying to perpetuate this story or narrative that HIV is being spread around by everybody? Because you know, statistically it's not, and that women rarely transmit it to men. So I post that 
I go back and look not even a minute later, my comment is gone. I'm like, oh, okay. And I so then I send another message. And there's no other comments on this post, by the way. That would have been the only comment. So I put another comment on and I said, wow, you just deleted my comment. Like, you guys know the stats. Why are you afraid to sh leave what I just said, you know? Or why are you deleting my comment? <coughs> and that disappears almost instantaneously. And then I just put lame, like you guys know better, like you know what's going on. So I just shared that information on my Instagram story. And um, I don't know who's running that Instagram page, but you know, shame on you guys for making this look like it is something that it's not. And I'm just so sick of everybody being quiet about it and making it look a certain way when it's so freaking obvious how it's spread. So I like, I have a, um, oh, my mom just said Merry Christmas from your mama. Love you. Cute. Um, so there was, somebody had just sent me this. It was a 2018. I know we have more recent stats, but, um, it was just kind of a nice clean, bar graph that somebody had shared with me of who had HIV in 2018 in the United States. And out of about um, 31,000 new cases in the U.S., 81% of those were from male-to-male -male contact. 81%. That was 24,933 new cases of HIV that were male to male, 81%, okay? 5% uh, was due to injection, injection, God, I can't say that, injection, drug use. 4% uh, was from male to male sexual contact and injection drug use. So that's 9% there. Now we're up to 90%. That has nothing to do with women at all. So they leave 10%. They do say less than 1% is other. That's probably born with it. Um, that's about all that can be. So then the heterosexual contact, and come on, you know, this 10%, this ain't women giving it to men because you guys know, you know my story and you know <coughs> what I know about women transmitting and all these women that I know who got it from men on the down low and that they never gave it to their partners when they didn't know they had it. I'm one of them, um, two two partners long-term who never used condoms with me while I had HIV and did not know I had it. They never got it from me. And then many other men that I had been with, um, Tinder dates, whatever, everybody negative. Okay. So, um, of the 31,000 new cases of HIV, um, in the United States in 2018, about 2,900 were quote unquote hetero people. But I, 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 you know, if you get down to the nitty gritty of who make up, who makes up that um, almost 3000 um, people, I will guarantee that it's mostly women that got it from men. That's what makes up. It doesn't say female to male. It doesn't say that. It just says heterosexual contact. They're very vague about that, which also pisses me off. But it, if you get down to like the reports that really show the numbers, you will find, and I did find from the 2020, um, there was like a 121 page report. Um, and I was able to find the part where it said male, like where that said heterosexual men, it was like 230 the year of 2020 out of like, you know, 30,000 new cases, about 230 were from, were hetero men claiming they were hetero men who got it from women. And again, hetero men do not call themselves down low men. They also, 
down low men don't call themselves gay. So down low men are in the hetero male category, but they got it from men. You know what I mean? So anyways, that this is like, yeah, just, you know, fires me up when shit like this happens to me um, through the internet. And I can't stand that um, it's not talked about enough. And I will never shut up about it. Never gonna shut up about it. Um, yeah, I'm gonna be that squeaky wheel um, who never shuts up about the fact that women don't transmit HIV or we rarely, rarely do. So, uh, okay, guys, that's it for me today. Thanks for listening to my long rant. I'm starting to lose my voice <laughs> a little bit here. I may, I don't know, but I may do a TikTok live now. We will see. Um, anyways, I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas if you celebrate that kind of thing, or at least got to spend time with your families. And um, thanks for listening. And I will see you guys on the flip side. I love you all. Bye-bye. If you'd like to be notified for any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Thanks, guys.